Marcus Paul, almost a public figure. When you Marcus Paul in the morning. Marcus Paul in the morning. Marcus Paul in the mornings, right across Australia. On the iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio apps. The biggest issues. The biggest guess. Marcus Paul in the morning starts now. Well, good morning. It's great to have your company right around, well, everywhere on starterfm.com.au. Maybe you're listening to us on the iHeartRadio platform. If you aren't, you can download it. Uh, if you're catching us through, oh, tune in. That's all right as well, the tune in platform. But whichever way you're listening, we do appreciate you uh, being a part of what we do here. My uh, look at the news and some of the top stories of the day and, of course, my views and yours. Uh, your views mainly coming from the Facebook page, Marcus Paul in the Morning, of which, uh, gee, yesterday I put up that video of Anthony Albanese ridiculously having to defend himself for being overseas um, before the floods hit. You remember Albo left before the flood started. Anyway, uh, and we put that video up and uh, the, we got a massive response to it. I think it had 10,000 views by last night and so many hundreds of comments. That's what we do it for. Anyway, thank you for engaging in that. Plenty on the show this morning. Of course, we'll keep you up to date on the half hour. Thanks to the team at Air News. We'll update you on the latest flood situation. The worst of it now, moving away from the Sydney Basin and heading up toward past the Hunter. Now, we've got some issues there with flooding around the Cessnock area, uh, Maitland as well, and those sorts of areas. But the mid-north coast of New South Wales is now in the firing line of that deep low um, so unfortunately we may see some flash flooding in those areas so be on standby if you're listening to us on the mid-north coast and make sure you stay listening to uh, the radio and and keeping an eye on updates in particular the state emergency service uh, do, they do a wonderful job and i want to congratulate not only uh, the ses volunteers but uh, their social media team uh, their reports during times of floods and even bushfires, but floods at the moment, uh, are really first class and they've done a wonderful job. All right, well, I'll update you uh, with some of the latest on the floods, including uh, the announcement of those disaster payments yesterday, that joint statement and joint presser from uh, the Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, as he toured flood-affected areas with New South Wales Premier Dominic Perrottet, their mates. Well, they are certainly working well together, much to the chagrin, I guess, of those on the right and certainly the army at Sky News that are just scratching their heads wondering what's going on. How on earth can Anthony Albanese and Dominic Perrottet be praising each other? Well, as Albo said yesterday in that video that I shared, welcome to the new way of doing politics. Forget the division, let's get what needs to be done, done. Anyway, so I'll update you on the latest on that. Um, what else? Oh, rats, dirty rats. Now, uh, it's a byproduct, I guess, of all this uh, wet weather we've been having in the last, oh, God knows how long, six months or so. Um, Norwegian rats. Um, I don't know what the... Uh, that's what they're called. I don't know what, what's the difference between a normal rat and a Norwegian rat, apart from the fact that these Norwegian buggers are apparently a little more vicious. And they're everywhere because they're normally the burrowing rats that go underground, but, of course, their little homes are being flooded out by all the excess water, so they're now moving into roof cavities. 
not good. I'll give you some detail on what you need to watch out for with those dirty, dirty rats. Uh, that ship that uh, um, left the uh, the port down near Wollongong the other day and spent 48 hours on rough seas has finally been towed into Port Botany. Um, you know, from Port Kembla to Port Botany in 48 hours. <laughs> but it was a really rugged trip and there was, of course, a, a real risk that this vessel carrying nearly, a, what, a million litres or something of fuel uh, could have found itself submerged on rocks at the Royal National Park. Fortunately, it wasn't, so they're investigating what went wrong there, but it birthed, uh, birthed yesterday at uh, Botany, which is good news. Uh, not so good news if you're a Silverchair fan for their lead singer, Daniel Johns. This bloke is really lucky not to have found himself in jail. Uh, his second serious drink driving charge has seen him sentenced yesterday. And I'll tell you the story, but I'll preface it by saying he's bloody lucky. He's definitely lucky he is not in jail. Nick Kyrgios. Well, uh, I make no secret of the fact that uh, I think he's a brilliant sportsman. I think he's gifted. He's talented. It's just he rubs me the wrong way. It's a personality thing. I just die. I can't stand him. Um, but I do appreciate how good he is on the tennis court. I think it'd be, he'd be a lot better if he lost the attitude and the chip off his shoulder, but that's just a personal thing. You know, um, you know, take him or leave him. But some serious... Well, what I first thought was a serious allegation by an ex-girlfriend is now being investigated by police until you read more into it. I mean, his ex-girlfriend apparently last December claims that he pushed her. Okay. Well, look, I don't. Uh, I know in a way it's kind of quote unquote common assault, and I'm not uh, discounting the fact that the allegation isn't serious, you know, because you shouldn't be pushing anyone. I guess it is common assault. But again, you know, I, I worry about because she's all over social media with it. You know, the more I read into this story after a few of you commented on the Facebook page yesterday, the more I realised that, you know, um, why is this coming out now when he's about to, you know, hit the court for a quarter-final appearance at Wimbledon? Why is it coming out now when it apparently happened last December? And why is she still on social media? You know, at least Nick's shut up about it, no doubt from legal advice. But I, I, you know, I, I just find it, and I don't want to, you know, uh, claim or or um, discount her feelings or anything in uh, in relation to this. But you know, I kind of lose a little bit of faith in the whole way it works when the accuser is then on social media at the same time. She should have just gone to the police, let them deal with the allegation, and shut the fuck up. You know, uh, I honestly, I do. I, you know, social media isn't the place to be uh, claiming uh, to be a victim on such a, a serious allegation. I mean, this could lead to a criminal record for Nick Kyrgios. And here she is all over social media fighting with the so-called trolls. I mean, of course she's going to be trolled on social media because she's on there. Get off there. 
anyway, that's my opinion on it, and I'll go further into that very soon. Kind of lost myself for a moment there. Uh, we'll play some bangers for you this morning as well, some great tunes. So let's get into it on this Wednesday. By the way, it's the 7th of the 7th, July the 7th, 2022, and you're listening to Marcus Paul in the morning. Righto, let's get to it on this Thursday morning. It's great to have your company. Well, a one-off payment for people severely affected by flooding in New South Wales of $1,000 for adults and $400 for children will be made available from around 2pm today. The Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, said his government had made a decision already that the disaster recovery payment will be available as he toured flood-affected regions. Employees and sole traders who have lost income as a consequence of flooding will also be able to claim the disaster recovery allowance for up to 13 weeks. Now, the payment will be offered to people in 23 local government areas that have been declared disaster zones in recent days as heavy rains have inundated the New South Wales coast. Now, the Prime Minister also said a third defence helicopter would be sent in to assist with recovery efforts. Now, he said yesterday, this is Albo, it's heartbreaking to think that for many people, this is the third or fourth time in 18 months that their lives have been disrupted by a natural disaster of this magnitude. Over the last few years, our resilience has been tested time and time again, and many people are doing it tough. I want everyone in a flood-affected region to know that the Commonwealth stands ready and committed to provide support now and through the recovery. Look, as rain eased yesterday in Sydney, dozens of flood evacuation orders and warnings did remain in place affecting thousands of residents. Emergency Management Minister Murray Watt yesterday activated financial supports to cover immediate housing, food and clothing for individuals and clean up and recovery grants for businesses and primary producers. Now, early yesterday morning, Acting Opposition Leader Susan Lee said the government should not have waited for Mr Albanese to touch down from his visit to Ukraine to begin rolling out the one-off payments. Ms Lee said people on the ground need to get that support. They need the payments and allowances that the government is able to deliver with the stroke of a pen. They don't need to wait for Mr Albanese to get back and have a look at the regions himself. They need those payments being made today. Now, of course, federal Labor was heavily critical of the former government in March over delays to flood assistance payments being activated in the wake of heavy flooding in Queensland and northern New South Wales. However, yesterday, State Premier Dominic Perrottet jumped to the Prime Minister's defence, hitting back against criticism by federal MPs in his own party, who said Mr Albanese's international travel was neglecting domestic issues. Now, Mr Perrottet said, I know in some quarters the Prime Minister's been criticised for being away. What I would say is, from my perspective, the federal government needs to balance international concerns and domestic concerns. Now, the New South Wales Premier said he had been pleased with the quick response from the Commonwealth. He said, I know the engagement between the state and federal emergency service ministers has been strong from the outset. All right, well, as uh, the rain moves away uh, and up to the north, I'll get to that in a moment, but Sydney Water is urging residents from flood-affected suburbs in western Sydney to try and reduce their water usage over fears that recent heavy rainfall will impact on clean water. 
Now, the alert applies to homes and businesses in the following areas. Caddens, Cambridge Gardens, Cambridge Park, Castle Ray, Claremont Meadows, Colleton, Cranebrook, Dunheaded, Emu Heights, Emu Plains, Erskine Park, Glenmore Park, Jamison Town, Jordan Springs, Kingswood and Kingswood Park. It also includes Lemon Grove, Leonay, Landilo, Londonderry, Mount Pleasant, uh, St Mary's, Orchard Hills, Oxley Park, Penrith, Quarry Hill, Regentville, Ropes Crossing, South Penrith, St Clair, St Mary's, Warrington, Warrington County and Warrington Downs. Now, the company has released a statement asking people living in those areas to limit the amount of water they use in the coming days as filtration systems are working overtime to filter and clean the raw water to make it safe. The statement read, heavy rains and floods have swept high volumes of leaves, dirt and other debris into the raw water catchment, making the unusual demand for drinking water more difficult to meet. This has posed significant challenges for our Orchard Hills water filtration plant. The statement went on to say, as such, we are asking residents in this catchment area to reduce their water usage while our filtration systems are working harder than usual. In the same notice, residents were reassured that water currently coming from their taps is safe to drink and that the alert was an effort to only conserve supply. Now, General Manager Customer Delivery Bernie Sheridan said yesterday, we understand Warragamba Dam is full and spilling at record rates, so it seems strange to ask our customers to voluntarily conserve water, but this helps us to ensure consistent supply. I need to stress that the drinking water is clean. It is simply that the system's ability to produce drinking water is slower than usual. All of our teams are working overtime due to the very large levels of silt and debris entering our system, which ultimately slows down our ability to clean our water supply and provide clean drinking water to our customers. Look, people are also urged to reduce non-essential water use, such as hosing down their driveways post-floods and engage in water conservation practices, such as taking shorter showers. All right, well, as I mentioned, most of the rain is now heading up toward the Hunter. Unfortunately, some evacuation orders have been put in place there. I'll get to those details right after this. Marcus Paul in the morning. Yeah, welcome back. It is the 7th of the 7th. 2022, Marcus Paul in the morning. Great to have your company here on Starter FM, iHeartRadio, tune in, and of course on the Prawncast, the podcast as well. Well, up in the Hutter Valley, things are getting a little nasty. The tiny village of Broke, B-R-O-K-E, was evacuated yesterday of its estimated 300 residents after they were completely surrounded by floodwaters. The town streets were only accessible by large four-wheel drives, with surrounded streets overrun with floodwaters as of late yesterday. Now, a park on the edge of the town was completely underwater. Cars on Howe Street were submerged as the State Emergency Service ferried people out with a Unimog and buses before taking them to shelter at nearby Cessnock. Now, while the streets are completely flooded, it is not yet known if any homes have been damaged by the floodwaters. Um, Well, we were warned and we were told by the Bureau that, of course, local... 
Heavy rainfall would fall in the Hunter late yesterday and also move up toward the mid-north coast and southeastern areas of the northern Tablelands, and that is the case. Now, across these areas, a persistent northbound trough may bring between 60 and 90 millimetres in six-hourly rainfall totals across uh, with likely dumps possibly of 150 millimetres across the coast, while areas like Bellingen and Foster could see dumps in excess of 200 millimetres in the same period. Major flooding is expected too at Singleton, and moderate flooding is possible in Maitland as the Wallumby Brook at Bulger climbed just over 9 metres. And that's getting up to around its highest peak since 1952. Now, as a result of all of this, Coffs Harbour, Port Macquarie, Taree, Kempsey, Sawtell and Dorigo on the mid-north coast all remain on high alert. To assist communities with the recent deluge, six SES crews from Victoria have flown into Newcastle from Melbourne yesterday to join forces with their New South Wales counterparts. Uh, Meanwhile, the Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, confirmed more defence troops were on their way after he announced that flood-affected families would have access to relief payments from 2pm today. Of course, recovery payments will kick in from 2 o'clock today for 23 local government areas. That will consist of $1,000 for adults and $400 for every child who is eligible for it. There are 180 personnel already on the ground right now, and there will be an additional 150 available from today. It's expected, this is Mr Albanese saying, it's expected that we will use the fact that there are facilities available and personnel available in Singleton, one of the key areas that is increasingly subject to being impacted by this new flooding. And we will also make available a third helicopter that is likely to operate out of the Williamtown Air Base in the Hunter. Now, Mr Albanese said he was very pleased that the federal government was cooperating so well with the New South Wales government, calling it a, quote, seamless relationship that we have, which is what people want to see at a time like this. The relief is also payable to eligible employers, employees and sole traders who experience a loss of income as a direct result of the disaster for a maximum of 13 weeks. And it's also available to eligible New Zealand citizens. Now, the Prime Minister and the New South Wales Premier Dominic Perrottet visited flood-ravaged communities as the natural disaster continued to develop throughout the state. Now, for a change, the leaders were listening instead of talking at the Windsor Community Pantry, hearing out multiple stories from locals who were fed up with the consistent floods. And one of these uh, uh, appeared on the news last night, one of these exchanges with Windsor resident Scott Hinks, appreciating the duo visiting but said showing up wasn't enough. He said, and I quote, thank you for turning up and visiting us, but this is ongoing. You're going to be turning up again in the next three or four months. We actually need action right now, and this is the first part of it. We've got your government and your government pointing at both the Premier and the Prime Minister. You need to start working together. This happened here three months ago, and everyone was talking about fixing the same problem. It's all on the radio, but nothing has happened. Now, the passionate local alluded to teamwork being the best solution. What we're looking at today is... Labor and Liberal getting together 
to which the Prime Minister responded, we're here together. Another resident said the water levels reached shoulder height in her home, wanting answers from the Prime Minister saying it doesn't get any easier. Now, the leaders, of course, did vow to work together in response to the crisis, but Mr Albanese said solutions can't be rushed. What people want is to work through the solutions in a systemic way. Quite clearly, we've always had natural disasters here in Australia, but what we're seeing is more intensity of them, and they're happening more often. The Prime Minister went on to say that requires governments to work together on issues like planning, to make sure housing is in appropriate locations, to make sure that people get the support that they need. The immediate issues, of course, are dealing with the crisis, and that's what we're focused on in this very short term. All right, well, that was uh, what happened yesterday. And look, there's no doubt, of course, that um, there will be ongoing discussions about, you know, uh, there's no quick fix. I mean, even if if there is to be an extension by 14 metres of the Warwick Hambard Wall at the dam, I mean, that's going to take many, many years to actually build. And some scientists claim that that won't uh, make a difference for flood mitigation, at least. All right, well, unfortunately, there is no quick fix. I mean, if you ask me, I think perhaps we need to rethink building on obvious floodplains if we're going to see more of these recurring natural disasters in the future. I mean, it might be cheaper in the longer run uh, to buy up these properties and get people away from flood zones than it is to keep handing out, well, disaster recovery payments and all the rest of it. Because you've got to remember, too, even some people that are insured, uh, you know, their premiums will go up. Our premiums will go up for people not in flood-affected areas as well. It's a lose-lose situation. I think the longer-term solution is to simply not build in flood-plain areas or floodplains, if you like. You can have your say on that on the Facebook page, Marcus Paul in the morning. Marcus Paul. Yeah, welcome back, Marcus Paul in the morning. Look, I have to say, and um, maybe ashamedly so, I've never really been a Silverchair fan. Uh, you know the band, Silverchair, rock band out in Newcastle. Look, I've always supported Australian music, but it's not really the genre that uh, I've ever got into. Having said that, though, I acknowledge um, that they have been extremely successful. Unfortunately, though, uh, lead singer Daniel Johns, his private life has been nowhere near as successful as his professional life. Yesterday, the former Silverchair frontman was sentenced to 10 months in jail, but he was allowed to serve it in the community for a high-range drink driving charge after he admitted he was so drunk he drove the wrong way along the busy Pacific Highway. I mean, the story is incredible in the fact that nobody was killed. So, rock star Daniel Johns has escaped a full-time jail term after a magistrate found his lifelong mental health battles had contributed to him being so drunk He drove the wrong way along the Pacific Highway, causing a crash which sent a truck rolling and sliding for 100 metres and the former Silverchair frontman to rehabilitation. Now, the 43-year-old whispered thank you after Raymond Terrace Local Corp Magistrate Ian Cheatham said the musician's conduct warranted jail time but ordered that he serve it in the community under an intensive corrections order. Now, Mr Cheatham 
sentenced John to 10 months jail, stating that he must accept the supervision of community corrections and continue ongoing treatment as directed. He, of course, was also disqualified from driving for a further seven months and will have to install an interlock device for two years once he regains his licence. Now, the reclusive rock star had admitted to registering a blood alcohol level <clears throat> excuse me, of 0.157, so effectively three times plus over the limit after being involved in the crash on the Pacific Highway near Tea Gardens back in March. Now, police had initially said a 55-year-old woman was injured in the crash, although the magistrate said there was no documents before him which suggested that anyone was hurt. The crash occurred after Johns turned onto the Pacific Highway but drove north on the southbound lanes. It was John's second drink-driving offence, so he's very lucky he's not in jail, to be honest. He was convicted and fined $880 after registering a 0.124 level when he was stopped for speeding in Newcastle back in 2014. Now, on the latest charge, Johns had admitted to drinking a bottle of wine and a can of vodka before getting into his car while staying in a holiday home on the mid-north coast back on March the 23rd. His solicitor, Brian Wrench, said his client had been self-medicating with alcohol as he struggled with his mental health as the launch of a new album approached. Mr Wrench told the court he was self-medicating. The fact is, this was the only way he could deal with these issues. There was no issue with drugs, just alcohol. The solicitor later added he does not want to consume alcohol. He does not want to be that sort of person. Yeah, all right, well, look, I don't want to pass judgment on somebody's mental health and if they are an alcoholic or a recovering alcoholic or not. The facts are, though, that Daniel Johns is very lucky that he is not in jail, given this is his second offence of a very high-level reading. Uh, I mean, and to be honest, he's very lucky that nobody was killed in this accident. Let's be, you know, let's be fair dinkum about this. Anyway, his solicitor said Johns had struggled with his fame from his early teens, with his mental health issues exacerbated by being in the spotlight. It included the darker side of being famous, including vitriol from the general public, and had made the 43-year-old a recluse who rarely left the safety of his own home. His solicitor went on to say Johns had suffered from a range of health issues during his life, including anorexia, in his mid-twenties, which left him almost on his deathbed, related severe arthritis and was suffering stress, anxiety and vomiting in the lead-up to the crash. But his lawyer said Johns had taken the incident and subsequent charge very seriously and booked himself into rehab after the crash and had not attended any in-person functions for his new album because he did not want to disrespect the court. He tended letters from Johns' mother and brother, who had never given a public statement in the past about their relative's troubled life. Anyway, I could go on with this, but the magistrate said, although the incident was very serious and warranted jail, he believed Johns and the community would be better served if the term of imprisonment was in the form of the intensive corrections order. He thanked Mr Johns and wished him well, uh, to which the pop star, rock star replied, thank you. All right, well, again, as I say, Daniel John's very lucky uh, not to be in jail. Of course, 
The accident could have been so much worse. Marcus Paul in the morning. Yeah, just want to move back to some more stories on the flood event around New South Wales at the moment. And uh, we're told that I shouldn't laugh at this because it's quite serious. A mass rat migration is quietly taking place across the suburbs of Sydney. And the final destination is the roof in your family's home. That's according to veteran rat catchers. Sneaky little critters called Norwegian sewer rats are escaping their beloved complex tunnel systems, which have been flooded with water, of course, in the flood event, and they are seeking refuge in warm roof cavities of suburban homes. Inner West Pet Control owner Paul Errington told yesterday's Daily Telegraph he had been inundated with calls this winter as rats seek to escape the cold and wet winter. He said, what has been happening is the Norwegian rats, they love to tunnel and build underground networks and they have been flooded with the rain and so they've migrated to the roof. Ooh, I'm just having a look at some pictures of these things. They're not little. <laughs> he said some rats were even brazenly, or brazenly living in plain sight at certain properties, but said also, they also love to live in the roof of the family's house and out of sight thanks to home insulation. Now, the rats apparently are all across Sydney, but some parts of Sydney are worse than others. Uh, the rat catter, the rat catcher, <laughs> rat cat? <laughs> that was a band, wasn't it? Rat cat? Anyway, uh, they had a couple of good songs out too. There are certain areas in the inner west where I heavily bait numerous houses on the same street, according to the rat catcher. Primal pest control owner Adam Shuckus has also had numerous calls for help from householders facing a rodent invasion, but he said the problem was not confined to the city. Inner city Sydney does have a large Norwegian rat problem. They're all in your sewers, unfortunately. But southwest Sydney suburbs, including Camden, Oran Park, Norellan, also have a problem with mice at the moment. Clean and Green Pest Control's rat catcher of 10 years, Dave Wright, said the Norwegian sewer rats in the suburbs could be relatively tame, but he said it was a different story in the city, where the higher numbers meant they had become more territorial and aggressive. He said they had been attacked by rats running toward him at Paddy's Market and also Sydney Airport. Imagine that, coming under attack by, from Norwegian rats. Yeah, apparently they're more aggressive. They've, they've actually charged at the rat catchers. Um, he said he'd also been in Darling Harbour and had them jump on his head from above him from a fence. <laughs> Talk about your health hazards and work uh, problems. He urged authorities to look to cities such as New York where sophisticated practices such as the use of dry ice have been employed to kill all rats in a borough. In Sydney, he said the usual practice of baiting rats was no longer working because the rats were getting smarter and therefore not eating the bait. Smart little critters, aren't they? They can actually even identify certain rodent baits just by looking at them. Someone in their rat family will have eaten that particular bait. In the meantime, Mr Wright urged people to be vigilant in Darling Harbour where he had been attacked. He said they don't have much fear of humans because they've seen them all the time and they're just not too intimidated by them. When you walk through that main area late at night, be careful. Make sure you're not walking too close to the bushes. 
Look, a City of Sydney spokeswoman said there had been no significant change in rat numbers or species in the city boundaries over the past 12 months. Well, I don't think she's been speaking to our friends, the rat catchers. <laughs> Norwegian rats, eh, in Sydney. Running rampant, who would have thought? Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, welcome back Thursday morning with Marcus Paul. Uh, look, the breakdown of any relationship is sad, particularly when it happens publicly. And unfortunately, it's happening to Julie Bishop. Media reports yesterday surfaced suggesting that she was, quote, dumped at dinner by her handsome boyfriend of eight years like one of her expensive handbags, unquote. And that is, of course, despite the respected leader giving him access to a world he would never have seen otherwise. This bloke, David Panton, was sometimes unkindly described as Julie Bishop's handbag as if he was just another one of her expensive fashion accessories. Now, during Julie Bishop's time as foreign minister, the property developer was regularly photographed smiling by her side at sparkling social gatherings, but barely said a word in public. Now, it is apparently Bishop, who's 65, who has so far remained silent, as her boyfriend of eight years confirmed their relationship ended last Friday over one final meal. Well, that's a shame. Uh, He said, I'm going to be focused on living in Manly and Melbourne for the foreseeable future. Uh, This bloke is 61, this Panton. He told the Sydney Morning Herald, I wish Julie all the best in her ongoing stellar career. Now, Panton was largely unknown when he first appeared with Bishop at the 2014 Melbourne Cup, a year after the Prime Minister, Tony Abbott, appointed her Minister for Foreign Affairs. They've been introduced by Bishop's close friend and retired Liberal politician Bruce Baird and shared an interest in fitness and health. A seemingly never-ending round of glamorous outings would follow, including repeated invitations to marquees at Flemington Racecourse, opening nights and fashion shows. Together, the couple attended AFL Grand Finals and Melbourne's famed Portsea Polo, where Bishop once also carried a $7,000 Louis Vuitton Petite Mal handbag. Who in their right mind would spend $7,350 on a handbag? What? Uh, Julie Bishop would. Okay. There were seats next to Nicole Kidman, Keith Urban and Vogue editor-in-chief and a Wintour at the Australian Open. So this bloke was there as well and a prime position to watch Carlton play West Coast with then US Vice President Joe Biden at the MCG. So look, this fella got around a bit. David Panton, courtesy of, uh, you know, his beau Julie Bishop. He even sat next to Bishop at a meeting of the United Nations General Assembly in front of some of the world's most powerful leaders back in 2015. The pair spent the last night of that year at Melbourne's Crown Casino, where they were photographed with James Packer before the billionaire's then-girlfriend Mariah Carey performed. Two years later, uh, then-US First Lady Melania Trump assumed Panton was Australia's foreign minister when the couple attended another UN meeting, according to Bishop. Oh, how embarrassing for Julie. Anyway, look, 
For most of their relationship, Bishop lived in Perth, where she worked as a lawyer before entering Parliament, while Panton stayed in Sydney on the Northern Beaches. She never nominated him as her official partner, quote-unquote, which would mean disclosing his financial interests on the parliamentary register as is required for MP spouses and those with whom they are in a de facto relationship with. Panton was, however, Bishop's nominated person, quote-unquote, entitled to taxpayer-funded domestic travel when he accompanied her on interstate and inter, uh, intrastate trips. So, uh, look, effectively, you and I, Aussie taxpayers, have been ferrying this bloke around as well. I mean, back in 2018, it was reported that Julie Bishop had claimed $32,000 in travel for this fella over the previous three years. All right, well, anyway, I don't want to go on with any more of it because they start listening in this report uh, all the fashion items and wonderful pictures of the pair travelling together. And look, it's sad. It it is sad, of course, that um, Julie and David Panton have broken up but it might save the taxpayer a few bucks. Life is ball in the morning. Yeah, Marcus Paul in the morning. Great to have you company. Look, if you could uh, kick the tin for us, throw a few coins in the old GoFundMe, we'd appreciate it. Keep us going. Um, uh, the links are up on the Facebook page, which uh, we'd appreciate a follow-up as well. Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, um... As I mentioned the other day on the program, our international borders and the restrictions in place have been eased. So Australia's international COVID-19 border restrictions have been lifted, meaning overseas arrivals no longer have to prove they have been vaccinated. More than two years after the pandemic began, the change marks the end of significant COVID-based restrictions on travel into Australia. While Australian citizens were able to arrive unvaccinated, most foreign travellers needed to seek an exemption on limited grounds. But from 12.01am yesterday morning, those requirements were of course scrapped. Uh, That opened the international border in full to unvaccinated travellers. So does that mean that anyone can visit Australia? Well, no, not really, because airlines are able to set their own vaccination rules. Some airlines still require a vaccination certificate and some require passengers to have a negative COVID-19 test before they board the aircraft. Uh, Virgin, Qantas and its budget option Jetstar are all still requiring passengers to present a vaccination certificate in order to fly internationally. Exceptions apply to children under 12 or those who are under 17 and under and flying with a vaccinated parent or guardian. Look, some of their partner airlines, including Singapore Air, Emirates, American Airlines and Air New Zealand, do not have the same requirements. Passengers will still be allowed on these flights, even if they are booked through the Australian carriers. So what else is changing? Well, I mentioned the other day the DPD, which is that Digital Passenger Declaration, which recorded passengers' vaccination status, has also been scrapped, but perhaps not forever. It is expected that this system will eventually take the place of the paper international arrival cards, which are filled, by, are filled out rather by anyone landing in Australia. 
Well, that may save a bit of time. Home Affairs Minister Claire O'Neill said this decision would allow the technology to be worked on before that change was effectively made. She said yesterday, I know anyone who has travelled internationally since the borders have opened will find this as one less thing to worry about, especially as more Australians get back to travelling overseas. We've also listened to feedback about the DPD, that's the Passenger Declaration uh, Disclosure. While in time it will replace the paper-based incoming passenger card, it needs a lot more work to make it user-friendly. What isn't changing, of course, is that incoming arrivals still need to comply with other COVID-19 restrictions like wearing masks on flights bound for Australia. And of course, some domestic flights also still require people to wear masks. Anyway, so Australia's opened its borders to unvaccinated travellers and uh, that's effectively what you need to know in relation to that. This is Marcus Paul in the morning. Look, I know uh, that I've made no secret of the fact that I'm I'm not a massive fan of Nick Kyrgios. Uh, I'm just not a fan of his antics. I think he's a brilliant tennis player. I think he's extremely talented, but I think that um, he can often show a, a lack of respect. Uh, that's just a personal opinion. You know, the guy rubs me up the wrong way. I can't help that. Um, I know that a lot of my followers and many listeners like him, and they think that he's, you know, obviously a, a bit of a, a bright spark in what is ultimately, a, you know, can be just a, a dour sport of tennis, international professional tennis. Anyway, um, I just don't like the way sometimes he speaks to people in my profession, like reporters and, and others. Um, he just comes across to me at times as if he thinks that he's so much better than everybody else because he has this God-given talent to wield a tennis racket. Well, I can assure you he's no better than you, me or anybody else. But anyway, uh, that's just my five cents on the bloke and that's purely going on his personality. Um, But I wish him well. However, (laughs) you've got to be really careful when you talk about this because I understand it's now before a court. Nick Kyrgios's brother says he hopes the allegations of domestic violence will not distract him in his crucial Wimbledon quarterfinals as his ex-girlfriend hit back at abusive social media trolls. This all comes with Kyrgios's family rallying around the Wimbledon star amid the assault charges. In case you haven't heard, uh, he's facing domestic violence charges or at least one charge of assault against his ex-girlfriend back in Canberra and he will have to front a court when he returns from Wimbledon. Christos Kyrgios and his partner Alicia Gowans recently welcomed a newborn son George and have installed a television in his nursery so they don't miss any of his clash (laughs) Uh, you know on the uh, Wimbledon court. Anyway he said that he hoped the fresh allegation he assaulted his ex-girlfriend Chiara Pisari would not distract his brother from his matches. Uh, Miss Pisari has come under fire from trolls on social media in the wake of the charges being laid by ACT police and accused of deliberately doing so on the eve of his quarterfinal. Now, she explained to the Daily Telegraph she went to ACT police in December of last year, but it took until yesterday for him to be charged. The 23-year-old model, who was allegedly pushed by Kyrgios during a domestic incident, so, you know, let's be honest, if allegedly pushed, I mean, this is really at the 
much lower end of domestic violence. I mean, I, I know it's technically still an assault, but being pushed? Anyway, she said she had no involvement over the timing of the police action this week. Yeah, okay. On her social media account, see, this is where it starts to get very murky for me. She needs to get off social media. If she's accusing somebody like Nick Kyrgios of assaulting her, do so through the normal channels, which obviously she claims she has done, but then get the fuck off social media. Excuse my French. You know, of course you're going to attract trolls. Of course you're going to see supporters of Nick Kyrgios run you out of town. You know, on her social media account, which she should have shut down, but she didn't, Miss Pisari was accused of trying to sabotage Kyrgios's Grand Slam chances by going to police so long after. In response to one Instagram commentator, or commenter, commenter, <laughs> who defended her, Pisari wrote, Thank you. Finally, some someone smart enough to understand how the justice system works. Uh. In an unusual coincidence, another of Kyrgios's ex-girlfriends, fellow Australian tennis star Asia Tomlanovich, also took to court one at Wimbledon um, overnight for her quarterfinal clash in the women's singles. Uh, I mean, what? Okay, I'm just reading this report. What the hell difference does that make? Um, for his part, Nick Kyrgios is finally keeping his mouth shut, which is a good move. No doubt uh, his lawyers would have told him to do so. Um, it's just a shame that police haven't told the alleged victim to do so. He's not spoken about the charges, but he did update his Instagram in the wake of the news breaking. The photo showed him walking alongside an adoring young tennis fan who appeared to have run up next to him at Wimbledon to talk to the player. He said, this is why I play to all of my youngsters out there, believe in yourself. Look, ACT police confirm Kyrgios was due to face court next month once he returns from Wimbledon. Uh, in a statement, it read, ACT policing can confirm a 27-year-old Watson man is scheduled to face the ACT magistrate's court on the 2nd of August in relation to one charge of common assault following an incident in December 2021. Can you just imagine... I mean, it won't get to the uh, stage of Johnny Depp v Amber Heard, but this will be a media circus, make no doubt about it. In a statement issued on uh, Tuesday night, Kyrgios's lawyers disputed that he had technically been charged, saying that he did not officially happen, that it did not officially happen until his first court appearance. They confirmed that Kyrgios was committed to addressing any and all allegations. His legal team said at the present time the allegations are not considered as fact by the court and Mr Kyrgios is not considered charged with an offence until the first appearance. Until the court formally accepts the prosecution will be proceeding with the charge and that the charge before the court is to be applied to the person summoned to appear, it may be misleading to the public to describe the summons in any other manner than a formal direction to appear to face allegations. While Mr Kyrgios is committed to addressing any and all allegations once clear, taking the matter seriously does not warrant any misreading of the process Mr Kyrgios is required to follow. Yes, well, as I always say, innocence until proven otherwise, and look, his legal team are right, they would know he hasn't been formally charged with anything, really. Still not like him, though. <laughs> Can I say that? Marcus Paul in the morning. 
Yeah, welcome back. Marcus Paul in the morning on this Thursday, the 7th of the 7th. Great to have you company. If you're listening on starterfm.com.au, on iHeartRadio, on TuneIn maybe. Thank you. Uh, maybe you're listening back on the Prawncast, the podcast. Uh, no matter how you're listening to us, we appreciate the fact that you do and thank you. Okay, one of the, the side stories from the flooding disaster in Sydney this week has been that uh, stricken Hong Kong-based bulk carrier, that big ship. Yeah, the one that uh, left Port Kembla in the Illawarra Wollongong just the other day, but spent 48 hours, in fact more than 48 hours, stranded at sea when it was at risk of being grounded on the New South Wales coastline during wild weather. I mean, there were there was a real worry this thing could end up on the rocks at Guatemala. Anyway, it's called the Portland Bay, and it was brought into the berth around 2pm yesterday with all 21 crew on board, now set to return to dry land after a hairy few days on the ocean. Yeah, well... Get them into a hotel, I think. They uh, will want to keep themselves nice and warm and need a good rest after all of that. The New South Wales Port Authority said all commercial shipping in and out of Port Botany was suspended until the vessel could be docked and all final safety and technical checks completed. The Portland Bay spent two days, as we know, stranded off the New South Wales coast and has come under fire from authorities for not flagging sooner that it was drifting toward rocks with 1,000 tonnes of fuel on board. Now, this could have been a, an environmental catastrophe had it have jagged itself against the rocks, particularly at Watamola. And, of course, that area there is National Park. Now, early on Wednesday, it was issued with a legal direction to be moved to a berth in Botany Bay. The Australian Maritime Safety Authority appointed emergency towing vessel Glenrock along with tugboats for support to move the bulk carrier so repairs could be made to the stricken vessel. In a statement, New South Wales Port Authority said all 21 crew on board had a better night on Tuesday night, which is good. Three tugboats rushed to the ship's position and worked into the night to tow it to safety. However, locals in Cronulla woke to find the vessel only 1.2 nautical miles or around 2.2 kilometres offshore after 11 metre waves snapped tow lines late on Monday. I mean, this <laughs> this vessel's really been through the ringer. Now, on Tuesday, New South Wales Port Authority Captain Philip Holliday said that with weather conditions set to ease, it was expected the Portland Bay uh, well, it was. It was towed into Port Botany to undergo repairs. Uh, but the Port Authority admitted the incident had been a bit close for comfort and an investigation was warranted and is now underway. There we go. Uh, the statement read yesterday on Monday morning when we were first notified of the difficulties the vessel was facing. She was drifting toward the rocks, which is never a good thing on a ship. Ships are much better at floating than they are at sitting on rocks. At the moment, she's got a mix of heavy fuel and marine oil on board. So add the two together and uh, the Portland Bay has a mix of around 1,000 tonnes of fuel on board. Of course, that is a concern. And on it went. Look, there will be an investigation around what time the engines failed and what time port authorities in Sydney were notified and what time other agencies were also called. Um, Anyway, but look, uh, by all accounts... The ship's captain notified everybody in sufficient time, so all's well that ends well. 
Okay, so hopefully uh, the 21 crew on board will all certainly get a much <laughs> better sleep. Uh, well, they would have had a much better sleep overnight. There's no doubt about that um, on dry land here in Sydney. Okay, Marcus Paul in the morning. Great to have you come. It's almost time for us to go today. Before I do, though, uh, I came across this yesterday. Uh, Nearly (laughs) lost my lunch. Former Prime Minister Tony Abbott apparently could be making a big return to politics with a possible run for the New South Wales Liberal Party as president. Okay, so it's not exactly running for, you know, for office, is it? Anyway, The Australian reported that Mr Abbott has floated the idea, quote-unquote, with close supporters of uh, making a push for the position that is currently held by Philip Ruddick. The publication cited well-placed sources that confirm Mr Abbott's intention to run. Now, Philip Ruddick has been the New South Wales Liberal Party president since 2018 and is also currently the mayor of Hornsby. He is reportedly weighing up his options as nominations remain open. Uh, Now, both men are considered to be quite close and friendly with one another. They both served together in federal politics with Mr Ruddick appointed Chief Government Whip when Mr Abbott, uh, of course, was the Prime Minister and he took office back in, uh, what, 2013. He was removed from that position and replaced with Queensland MP Scott Boucholz after the former Prime Minister survived a leadership spill in early 2015. Liberal MPs and journalists chalked Mr Ruddick's removal to Mr Abbott being dissatisfied with his performance in managing tensions leading up to the spill motion. But Mr Abbott and other former Liberal MPs, including the newly dumped Julie Bishop, (laughs) rejected this assertion. Oh, look, who cares? The former Prime Minister said that Mr Ruddick was moved to create a deeper and stronger engagement in the backbench. So he's described Mr Ruddick as a friend, colleague and supporter at the time. Now, both blokes didn't comment on Mr Abbott's possible intention to run for New South Wales Liberal Party President when they were asked by the Australian nominations for the job are open until July 23rd. Now, don't be too surprised if Tony Abbott pops up with the gig. Uh, I don't think Philip Ruddick has done a particularly good job. Uh, certainly, leading up to uh, the recent federal election, with you know all the factions at each other's throats and all the rest of it. Uh, if you you know you got to take some responsibility <laughs> after such a terrible election loss, if you are going to uh, you know be party president. I don't know, but I suspect um, that Philip Ruddick may well go and just concentrate on his duties. By all accounts, he's a very good mayor up there in Hornsby. Marcus Paul in the morning. So that's it for us today. Thank you for your company. Uh, The Prawncast podcast will drop a little later if you want to listen back to anything on the program. Enjoy the rest of your day. We'll be back tomorrow between 7 and 9 Australian Eastern Standard Time right across Australia on iHeartRadio platform on TuneIn. Of course, starterfm.com.au as well. Bye for now. Marcus Paul. All right, buddy. Bye. 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 Bye.